We're all missing travel right now, but you know what else we're missing? Getting more. With Priceline, you can save up to 60% on your favorite hotels, and you can also get exclusive deals on car rentals and flights. And when you save more, you can do more. More wow, mmm, and yes! Priceline knows that every trip is a big deal. So when you're ready to book your next one, visit Priceline.com for the easiest way to get more out of it. And don't forget to download the Priceline app for even more savings. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 43 of the That's So Mets podcast. And our New York Mets are limping right now, but they are somehow still in first place. And we have a lot to talk about today on this midweek show, as we always do. I'm your host, Connor Rogers, joined as always by my co-host, Joe DeMeo, who is also uh, the superstar of SNY right now, going through all the prospects and the minor leagues. And it's been a lot of fun to watch, and we'll we'll touch on that and promo that in a little bit. But, Joe, let's kick it right off the bat here. As we sit here and record this on Tuesday evening, thank God Jacob DeGrom is back tonight. But also, the Mets are somehow still in first place. And, you know, it's, it's hard to imagine how this lineup can continue to, you know, win here and there. Not just win series, that's unreasonable, but just hang on and hover. And, and I think, you know, we're going to break down today – what are the options? Uh, what players can be brought in, if any? What the trade market looks like? Of course, as we always do, what's going on in the minor leagues at, right now? And we're going to answer your questions. So, Joe, how are we doing, man? Uh, we're doing okay. I mean, right now it's a, it's a, certainly a tough go of it for the big league team. I mean, seventeen. I mean, let's assume Janeshri Fargus is going on the IL. I mean, he did a press conference today in a sling and said he's not sure if he needs to go on the IL. I mean, call me a pessimist here, but I'm thinking if you are in a sling, you're certainly going to need at least 10 days off. So they're on the verge of having 17 players on the injured list, which is beyond anything I could have ever imagined. I know the Mets have a history of some injury issues, you know, people getting hurt, but never like this. Uh, They prepared themselves depth wise. I think pretty well this off season. And, you know, we, we obviously talked about that a ton throughout the off season and into spring training, but there is no amount of depth that someone could bring in where you can afford to lose 17 players. No, there's not. And you're hundred percent right. This is unlike anything else. And now I'll say this, of course, if you look around the league, Every team is dealing with a significant amount of injuries this year. Now, the Mets situation is extraordinary, where I believe seven of the nine players in their opening day lineup are out. And more importantly, I know it's crazy to say that, more importantly than the starters, the bench that they signed and were so proactive about putting together in this offseason to keep things afloat when starters get hurt, because everybody knew this was going to happen this year after the 60-game stretch last year, that the ramp-up period would be different for guys this year. Injuries happen in baseball all the time, especially soft tissue stuff. Guys getting hit in the hands and wrists by pitches because nobody has control anymore of the baseball. These things happen. But unfortunately, those reinforcements are pretty much all injured, whether it's Kevin Pillar, who I think is going to shock us and be back quicker than most of most of the guys on the I.L., because that's the type of player he is, and it's it's really insane. It's awesome. Albert Almora is out, so then your two backup outfielders were already out. It's just really, I mean, and on and on and on through the bench, where the Mets are essentially out of players now in Syracuse to bring up as reinforcements, and a lot of the guys they brought up are either not supposed to be here because it's not really fair to their development, like Khalil Lee. You know, I was a little bothered when people were saying the guy can't hit, well, yeah, that's why he was in the minors as a prospect, working on contact and approach. And, of course, he has had a big hit in his career, but you could see bat by at bat, he's not ready to be here from an offensive perspective. Great glove, good arm, but he's a young, young player that is just nobody ever expected him to be up on the team in May. 
And then you have a lot of guys like Vargas, nice glove and speed, and actually has hit pretty well, shockingly, but really not expected to be up, uh, barring emergency, and it has been emergency. They lost Hager already because every time the Mets designate a guy for assignment to make a roster move because of another injury, they seem to get claimed. And so there's a lot of issues across the board right now, Joe. But once again, it goes back to the Mets are still holding on because the rest of the division has either vastly underperformed or an and or is dealing with significant injuries to their teams as well. With the Braves, it's pretty much all of their pitching, which was never that great to begin with. So big picture right now, what has been your takeaway on all of this? And looking ahead, do you really think the Mets can stay afloat over what's going to be a month now until Conforto, McNeil? I think Pete will be back earlier than them, but still they're down Pete right now. There's no pop in this lineup. The rotation's been a positive sign. DeGrom is back today. Walker will be back without a rehab start. Syndergaard's on his way back. Carrasco, we're going to wait a long time, but they'll have enough starters even without him. Do you really think they they can do this right now? Uh, Yeah, I actually do, honestly. I know that sounded very reassuring the way I said it, but um, (laughs) I actually do think they can hold it together and... You know, it's going to be tough. I know that everyone wants to make outside moves. To your point, Jake Hager got claimed. Daniel Zamora got claimed. Seemingly, you know, everyone the Mets are dumping off the 40-man is getting claimed. There's going to be a point in time where they can't keep dumping people off the 40-man to get Band-Aids for this period of time and then risk losing those Band-Aids in addition to the players that you lose when you DFA to make room for the Band-Aid. So Zach Scott has himself a tough, tough job here. And I don't think they can do a whole lot. I know it's really difficult to watch, especially on the offensive side of the ball, but I think they're more or less stuck. You know, they'll, they'll add maybe a couple things here or there, but I don't think I don't think anything of note can happen anytime soon. It's it's definitely early to make a significant trade. Teams aren't thinking about that at this stage. So you're looking at lower level moves of the Cameron Maben ilk. And I really don't want to start DFAing guys that I care about in the future just to get through this stretch. I, I hate to say it. I'd rather almost just let it ride and see how it goes. Uh, the pitching's coming back. So hopefully you could pitch really well and just scratch out enough runs here and there, uh, you know, to win a game. But to me, Francisco Lindor, we've been saying it, he needs to step up. Dominic Smith looks lost. He needs to step it up. James McCann hasn't hit. And you can magically play first base, I guess, but he hasn't hit. So, I mean, these guys and Jonathan VR has been, you know, he's been pretty good. So I'm not going to go nuts on him, but... These guys that are your everyday players that are actually still alive and, and and playing, those guys need to step up over this next three, four week period so that the Mets can stay afloat. You know, the rest of the division struggling, whether that's with just performance or injury, to your point, that's benefiting the Mets where, you know, they can maybe stay close enough. So when the reinforcements come back, they're ready to go. But it, it definitely stinks that they're they're dealing with this and they need their star players to really step up. You know, Francisco Lindor got hot for a few days and then lost it again. So, you know, I, I can't sit here and defend Lindor and I'm not going to sit here and go, well, and play the little streaks. Like, well, positive, he's been good the last three days. He needs to really get going. Like, I want to be talking next week on this podcast starting tonight that Lindor's had a great last full week. I don't want to highlight a couple games. He just hasn't done it. I don't, it, it definitely seems, I know uh, Zach Scott mentioned something mechanical with him. So hopefully he's working with the new hitting coach and figure out whatever's going wrong because he's just absolutely useless at the plate right now. There's no other way to put it. Yeah, it's tough. And, and you know, when you're looking at reinforcements right now, as we sit here and record this, J.D. Davis is not back in the Syracuse lineup tonight. So that was somebody that they have been, you know, hoping to work out um, at first base for when he's back. And he could obviously also play third. And 
It's a lot of things you and he gives you power in the lineup. So JD with a clear setback, and I know he was out of the lineup Sunday with a stiff neck. So I, I would imagine maybe they're being cautious with him, or maybe it's another thing. But the bottom line is, like you said, Joe, this team right now, the bullpen's been great, and they're getting Seth Lugo back. So it's it should only get better, and hopefully Lugo can pick up the spots where you cannot expect any reliever in baseball to always be perfect, whether it's Miguel Castro, whether it's Trevor May, whether it's Robert Gesellman. I mean, seriously, we're at that level where that is how good the bullpen has has been this year that a guy Joe and I should not have, we thought he shouldn't have made the team out of spring training, has a 2-5 ERA and, and has pitched, you know, decent amount of innings already. He's already thrown 18 innings where, you know, he's, he's picked up, a lot of spots where they needed a long guy. So you're going to need, honestly, dominant performances as we're used to from DeGrom, but you're also going to need them from Stroman and Taiwan Walker. And you know what? Even Peterson, who was not great Monday, he also wasn't bad. I think I'm frustrated by the conversation of the the fifth starter, the expected fifth starter, and a guy that probably will get bumped on the day that Carrasco and Syndergaard are both back when he goes, what, six innings and gives up two or three runs, and it's like, well, Peters, no. That's what a, that's what a fourth or fifth starter, off, that's great for a fourth or fifth starter, especially a young guy. They are not scoring runs right now, and they put themselves in a bind where when every game is three to one or, or two nothing, when the bullpen comes in, they have to be perfect for the Mets to even have a shot. So you're right, Joe. It comes down to it. The the big guys have to hit because, you know, Nito getting hot is great. You cannot expect Nito to carry a lineup. You can't expect any of these guys. You need Lindor and Dom to carry the lineup right now. And Pete will be back early enough. Then you need Pete to carry the lineup. JD, we don't know, but you need those guys to hit and hit with power, not just get on base. So I think that's where the team's at right now. And everybody is asking, well, what's the move they can make? And I know you've, you know, said over and over again, you probably just ride this thing out as hard as that is. Because when you look at it, you don't want to overreact and trade a big prospect for an average player and just to, you know, maybe hover in first place right now. You don't, You just got to question how much will that do to you. What matters with this baseball team right now, and of course we'll still watch every game, but is when all the big dogs are back pretty much July and they get back from the all-star break, this needs to be a powerhouse baseball team. And fortunately, the East has had such a slow start that you can live that way this year, where if you dominate out of the all-star break because you have five great starting pitchers and a power lineup – with July, August, and September baseball, that's okay. There's no Padres in this division. There's no Dodgers in this division where they're, what, 10-plus games above 500. The Braves have had, quite frankly, horrific luck with their pitching. When you look at Soroka has had a huge setback after an awful injury last year and supposed to be their ace. Max Fried has been good since he came off the IL, but we know the roller coaster he can be. Yanoa was their young ace out of nowhere this year. He breaks his hand, punching the wall. So he's out two months right now. And then Charlie Morton, even though he shut down the Mets' AAA lineup, has been a horrific signing so far. So, you know, and the Braves have guys like Austin Riley breaking out. And, of course, they have Albies and Acuna that can carry lineups. But the bottom line is the Mets are in a very fortunate position where they can survive this right now. They do have to sneak out wins. They have to beat bad teams like the Rockies, no matter how bad the Mets product is on the field right now, because they're guys that, let's be real, Cameron Maben was barely hanging on at AAA when the Mets got him. I mean, he wasn't hitting in AAA for the Cubs. So do you expect him to hit in the majors? Obviously not. They just got to find a way to get through this. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it was not easy for them, and it's not supposed to be easy for anybody. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it's it's just going to be really tough for them right now. And like you said, they have to be able to beat the Rockies. They have to be able to beat teams like the Diamondbacks. And those are teams that got to gotta grab some W's because you're going to struggle when you face, you know, better baseball teams. That's what it comes down to with the way the lineup is. The lineup is what's going to hurt them. They've been pitching just fine. So 
they need to hit. As far as you know, reinforcements. You know, I know D. Gordon's a free agent. I would just bring him in. Probably. I don't oh, know what absolutely. he. Absolutely. I I don't know what he has left, but he's just Dude, chilling he's on the street. What yeah. they're throwing out there right yeah. now. Exactly. I'd give him a shot. I know a guy like Billy McKinney is in DFA limbo. So is that someone you consider? Maybe he hasn't really hit a ton, but he can play all three outfield spots. And frankly, they just need people that can stand in the outfield with a glove and catch balls that are hit in the air. That's really what they need. They just are basically out of outfielders. So for me, there's not ton, not a ton you can do as far as additions at this time. Teams aren't selling. It's a bit early. So you're going to get this, you know, another Cameron Maben or, you know, someone in DFA status or someone on the street like a D Gordon. But what I will say to be positive, I mean, if you were, if we were talking, you know, around June 1st of 2015, we'd be talking like the Mets are in a lost year without offense. And the second half, they got Cespedes, things turned on. So who knows? Maybe this is it's a, a long season, man. Yeah, it's a long season. I know, you know, we're criticizing Lindor, but in the scheme of things, they've really only played like 40 games. So, I mean, that's obviously a, a you know, a chunk of the season. It's, uh, you know, a quarter of the season. But at the same time, there's still three quarters of the season left for him to, in theory, turn it around. Need him to get it going now, though. That's the thing. It have, has to happen now. Has to start tonight against the Rockies. And. You know, I think it's really important for this team to pull out a win tonight. I know that I don't, I tend to not overreact day to day. If they have a loss, I don't act like it's the end of the world. If they have a win, I don't act like, you know, it's anything more than it is. But this just feels like a team that's just had so much, so much bad happen to them. They're finally getting DeGrom back after his, you know, little injury deal there. And they just, they just need to pull out a win tonight. Have DeGrom shut down the Rockies score two or three runs and win two or three to one and, you know, get get another win in the win column and, you know, just try to take it day by day and get a day closer to getting your reinforcements back. You got a bit on some of them, but like you said, some are coming back sooner. I mean, Seth Lugo should be back next week. Uh, Pete might be back next week. So they're, they're, they're going to slowly start getting guys back, but all they need to do is find ways to win games especially against the bad teams so that they can stay afloat. So when they, when all these guys come back, it's not like, oh damn, they're 10 games back. So they just have to, they have to figure it out, make it work. And like I said, the normal MLB veterans, Lindor, Dom Smith, James McCann, Jonathan VR have to play like legit MLB regulars. That's what the Mets need right now more than anything else. Cause you can't expect anything out of a you know, brand jewelry hit a home run last night, but, can't expect much out of him. Uh, Nito has been hot, but I don't think you can rely on him. And then, of course, you're looking at guys like Khalil Lee and Jose Peraza and guys that are just, you know, right now for Lee, like you said, an underdeveloped bat or, you know, quad A players. So they have to just find a way to sneak out some W's so that way they just don't let things get away from them in the next month. Yeah, because when you look at it, the reason we're, we're pounding the table to you know, play 500 ball and rack up some wins now against bad teams is the reality is, you know, after the Rockies, they got three against the Braves. Can you steal two from the Braves? Then you got three against the Diamondbacks. Can you try to, can you try to take two from them? Because then you got seven games against the Padres in the first two weeks of June. That is seven games against the Padres in the first two weeks of June. There's not going to be a lot of people back then. Honestly, you hope J.D. and Pete are back. You hope, you know, obviously Walker will be back and DeGrom's back and, you you know, Lugo should be back. But this lineup will not get a, an overwhelming amount of reinforcements and you, you can't lose. It'd be tough to lose about, you know, five or six out of those seven games. And they're a powerhouse team, but you, you can't do it. So it's, it's not all doom and gloom. Like I said, this is a first-place team. And honestly, they punched above their weight class with this lineup. They really did. Of course, they started to come back down to earth. But they, they've punched above the weight class. They've stolen some games. And the reality of the situation is that, you know, they're they're going to have to find a way at times. And, and I want to throw in a question here. I like throwing in some of the questions when it's it's on conversational topic of our opening of the show. This one from Johnny. He said, if Tebow had given the baseball dream one more try... 
would he be a big leaguer right now based on all these outfield uh, injuries? Absolutely. Right, Joe? Uh, I, I think he, ha- he would have to be. I mean, they'd be essentially out of options. He would have been in AAA Syracuse. And if he was doing anything, uh, I would imagine that, yeah, Tim Tebow, number 15 jerseys would be selling like hot, hot cakes at City Field. And he'd be uh, flailing around in the outfield and striking out a bunch. But he would be in the major leagues. So it's a it's a funny question to think about. But I actually think there's a reasonable yeah, like yes is actually the reasonable answer to to the question of would Tim Tebow be playing Major League Baseball right now? They've had so many injuries that it would have come to it, I think. Yeah, I mean, he couldn't hit a lick in Syracuse in 2019. You know, he batted 163 in 264 plate appearances. So, I mean, there's a not a it's pretty sizable sample size, but I do I really think he would have I think he would have got a shot. I mean, he's still at four home runs in AAA, which I want to say it. I'm not a Tim Tebow guy, but I that's way better than I ever expected from him. Hey, the dude had power. Let's be honest. He's built like a tank. So, yeah. I mean, if he connected on a ball, it was going to go a distance. I mean, he's built like a football player, and that's literally what he is again. So um, he was he would hit a ball. You know, I, I saw him take BP in spring training, and he was hitting sheds far, far over the fence during BP. So the guy could swing a bat he just wasn't a mlb baseball player and i don't think that's like a ding on him that's just it 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 just shows it's very tough you can't just be a good athlete and become a major leaguer so tebow's a good athlete i hope he uh can make the jaguars and play football again and have fun there but yeah i think he might have made the mets this year but he, he prior to this you know certainly i didn't envision him as a big leaguer but to stay on the positive note, like you mentioned about how they're somehow still in first, you know, I know it's really doom and gloom and we're coming off a little doom and gloom and I see it all over Twitter and everything. They are still in first place, like you said, and you would think that they're in last by 15 games, the way that people are reacting. They're still alive, whether they're in first now or if they're not in first in a couple of days, that's okay. They just need to like Connor said, squeak out and steal wins where they can and just make it to these reinforcements. I know it's going to be a very long month or so here until they get everybody back. But if they could just, if the replace Mets can just go ahead and sneak wins here and there, they should, you know, stay close enough to to really make a run once everyone's back. And then at that point, you'll be getting closer to the trade deadline. So now you can really consider you know, what's out there from non-contending teams. I have a question for you that I think some people, you know, probably thought it was a joke when I tweeted it. And DeGrom is hitting ninth in tonight's lineup. And I said he legitimately should bat sixth. And I, I have a, I have two parts of this question for you. And first off, because I'm not joking for anyone that took it that way, am I wrong? And second, is there some respect factor from a manager or whoever is making the lineup that they don't want to insult the guys that are position players by batting DeGrom ahead of them involved in this situation? Well, if you're going to rank one to nine, DeGrom is not the worst hitter in this lineup tonight. It's not not even close to tonight's lineup. Yeah, he is not the worst hitter in the lineup tonight, so he probably should bat higher than ninth in that in that respect. Yeah, but I do think partially it is you know let's not disrespect the day the position players and Degrom realistically you know unless he throws a complete game is only going to get a couple at bats and now you're dealing with doing double switches and doing things at a different part of the order which sometimes complicate things and I think the exception to the rule is. Uh, Shohei Otani like he's gonna bat near the top whether he's DHing or if they do interleague and he's pitching like the pitcher spot's gonna hit high because he's a truly special hitter DeGrom's just like a good hitter for a pitcher he's not you know some big time bat he's just he's just good for someone who throws a baseball for a living yeah I think that's I think that's really what it comes down to they're not gonna disrespect the position players and especially someone you know like Cameron Maben who it's had a good big league career. He obviously is O for whatever since he joined joined the Mets and he's struggling, but I think they're gonna, you know, just be respectful there, put the Grom ninth and, you know, 
these guys are hitters. Got to figure out a way to hit. Just manufacture runs. They have some speed out there with, you know, Mabin and Khalil Lee. So if they could somehow find a way to get those guys on base and, you know, aggressively run with those guys, you know, you might be able to small ball your way into some runs. Just, just have to play a little bit of a different game than you would when they have the full assortment of guys that have obviously big power. Yeah. It's, it was something that just interests me. I mean, you're talking about a, a in eight seasons, he is a career 200 hitter, and that's in over 400 at-bats, so it's a legitimate, legitimate sample size. Three home runs, and this year, he's 7 for 15. 7 for 15. So I know I'm not calling DeGrom like a great hitter. I'm not saying he's Otani. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm just saying... The last four spots of this lineup at times for the last week, I forget getting on base or getting a hit. It's like three pitches at times where the dude you have, you have guys that are barely hanging on in their rotations going into the eighth and ninth innings. That's the stuff to me where I'm like, man, I I just I get it. It was just something I thought like maybe you shake things up at this point and really. And I think for DeGrom, I know he doesn't need any confidence booster. He's probably one of the most mentally focused players in all of baseball. But I think he would, he'd would he be somebody that would get up there and, and take it very seriously. I mean, we've seen him do it this year. He has to drive in his own run support very often. So it was something I wanted to throw your way. And you're, you're, absolutely, you're absolutely right. I think there's a lot that goes into it beyond the fact that we know the guy can, can absolutely can absolutely get on team shack with WinBet. we're playing parlays boosting odds and laying the wildest prop bets don't miss another game download the WinBet sports betting app today sign up today and win 200 in free bets when you place a 10 dollars first time wager on a straight bet or parlay that's 200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action including the men's basketball tournament if you bet at least 500 during the first and second round of the tournament you can get a trip to the five-star rated win las vegas Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Man, it's it's tough right now when the lineup comes out every night. You know, one thing that makes me laugh about all of this, though, is that the favorite tradition of Mets Twitter, even when things are going very well, is, and we're all guilty of it, is the complaining about the lineup every single night. Now, there's no baseball players left, so nobody complains about the lineup. When you see Brandon Drury at three, you can't even sit there and go, are you kidding me? Because you go, well, what else are they going to do right now? So I think that's like a, a little thing that I've kind of enjoyed about this entire thing. If I have to find some kind of sweet spot. Yeah, I mean, I guess. I guess if, you, if you're really searching there for something. <laughs> if, Dude, the biggest, if one of the biggest positives right is, now. well... People can't complain about the lineup, but yeah, it's definitely a uh, a hard time when Brandon Drury is batting third and playing right field. Not just batting third, he's playing third and playing right. So he's not even playing, you know, a normal position for him. So they have, you know, a couple people out of position and, you know, shoulder shrug emoji. Like, what, what could they do? They don't have alternative options. They've called up basically everyone there is to call up. Um they're going to have to DFA half these guys at some point in time, and they're probably going to lose. So, or at least a, a percentage of them. So you're looking at a situation where your AAA depth is going to be completely screwed in a month when you start DFAing <laughs> these guys, and then they don't clear waivers, and you're like, well, now what do we do? I mean, we don't even have AAA bodies at this point. So uh, this injury bug definitely will impact the team now obviously as we stand today but i think it'll impact the overall roster as we go forward through the rest of the season well let's talk about something that is more positive and in the minor league system even though the triple a team is absolutely down to scraps at this point for those that don't know and do want more content uh joe has a new digital series with sny that has launched episode one is out episode two will shortly be out and you're doing it with jacob resnick who uh, he's a young guy that just does such a great job covering the Mets and the minor league system, much like you do. Uh, you guys are the perfect pairing for this series. A- and I know for those that haven't seen it, you should go watch it. But the first episode, I just got to watch it as I, I got back from a little bit of travel, was mostly on Francisco Alvarez. Now, you guys do a great job running through the entire minor league system, but it seems like you're going to feature 
one of the top dogs each episode. Now, when you look at Alvarez, I think he's the number 38 overall prospect in the MLB top 100 right now. But when you wrapped that episode and you look at the start he's off to, he's already been promoted to double A. He's a very, very young player. What was your ultimate takeaway from that episode about, honestly, maybe the most exciting guy in the Mets system right now? And a spot that, you know, McCann's had a slow start. I'm not out on him yet. Nito's been a nice surprise. They've both been phenomenal defensively. But let's be real. The hope is in two to three years, we are gung-ho. We are excited about Francisco Alvarez making his MLB debut behind the plate for the Mets. Well, just to correct you quick, he got called up to high A Brooklyn. He didn't get called up double oh, A. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. just correct yeah, you Double quick. A would be, yeah. uh, this that would be, be a very jump. early for him. Yeah, yeah. He's already going to be significantly younger than the rest of the league. I mean, the pitcher's age that in Brooklyn right now, the average for, the, for that league is 23.3 years old, and Alvarez is, you know, 19 turning 20. So it's... You know, he's going to be facing some older competition. And it's going to be really interesting to see how he adjusts to that. But as far as my biggest takeaway, and, and like you said, you know, it's on SNY.TV, Mets Perspective. You could find it under their digital series. Uh, SNY pinned it to their Twitter account, and um, they've been promoting the heck out of it. You know, I heard it on the Shea Anything podcast with Doug Williams and Keith Hernandez was his guest on the episode where they talked about it. Uh, they played a clip of it during baseball night in New York. I heard Gary Cohen talking about it during yes, the game last a night. Times. Yeah, yeah, that that was uh, that was definitely something for me to hear Gary Cohen talk about a series that I am a part of. Uh, super exciting, but it's going to be out every other Thursday. So not in a couple days, but next Thursday, there'll be another episode where, you know, to your point, we're really going to be doing an episode kind of focusing on a specific player per episode for the most part going forward. So next week, uh, there'll be another interview and another, you know, top prospect that we're talking through. But my biggest takeaway from the Alvarez episode was getting with Jeremy Barnes, director of player development, and just hearing his excitement for a player like Alvarez and how he cited that he thinks he has a chance to truly be something special. Um, Talk about his maturity his how excited they are about his bat and that his defense isn't something that they have much of an issue with either. So all around the fact that the Mets are so high on him and to aggressively promote him to Brooklyn, because let's be honest, his start in St. Lucie was obviously insane, but it still wasn't a lot of games. They just, you know, Alvarez, I think, just exceeded their expectations with his maturity and how advanced he was as a player that they felt, all right, it's time to make the move. And now, obviously, if you get the chance to go to Brooklyn in the next you know, month or so, I highly recommend you do it because I tonight they have Ronnie Mauricio, Brett Beatty, and Francisco Alvarez batting 3-4-5 in the Brooklyn lineup. So, I mean, you're talking about potentially, oh, the, th- potentially the three best prospects in the system that are not injured at the moment. Because obviously Matt Allen had Tommy John surgery out for the year and Pete Crow Armstrong had a uh, labrum surgery, which is going to knock him out likely for the year. So you're talking about the three best prospects in the same lineup at the same time, batting back to back to back. So if you're able to get to a Brooklyn game, I know a lot of our listeners are probably in the New York area. If you can, get there as soon as possible and go check out these kids because they're they're all very very good and they'll they'll all get their own special on Mets perspective at some point yeah that's you know it is exciting when the Mets have so much talent it's all in one place ironically and you know which is usually not the case for any kind of system but it'll um it's just it's a fun it's a fun player to watch because that's not traditionally a position that you see the elite prospects come out of. When you have an elite catching prospect come up to the bigs, it's it's always a big deal, honestly. Whether the guy becomes a big hit or not, like, you know, whether it's Buster Posey, on and on and on. And he, he's really just tore it up whenever he's played, Alvarez. You're kind of at the point where you're like, well, where, where is he going to hit a speed bump? Because he is such a young player. And I think for Beatty, you kind of have to wonder, since he is already 21 years old, and he won't turn 22 until November, so he's going to be 21 the entire season. 
is that somebody that they they fast track if he just completely tears apart Brooklyn? Where you want to get a look at him in Double A next year, right? I mean that that yeah. path at I the mean, end of this year makes some sense, right? Yeah, I mean if, if these guys hit, I mean you you can't hesitate to promote if if they're ready. That's what it comes down to. I know you know I obviously don't get to be at every game. Uh, I go to a handful of minor league games to check it out, you know. But I'll talk to people and see what the what the guys are up to, but. You know, you can't just look and say, oh, he's hitting really well, promote him. Because the the Mets are trying to look beyond just how you're doing statistically. They want to have the things that they can hold firm on and say, okay, he's right for a next level for this reason. And Beatty, to your point, at his age, um, if he continues to hit, I would imagine that double A is not too far off from him. Uh, for him, Mauricio might be on a similar you know, wavelength as Beatty with, you know, if he continues to hit, he could potentially hit Binghamton sooner than later. Alvarez, it would have to, I think it would have to be a pretty special scenario for him to reach double A this year. I I would have the expectation that he'd spend the rest of the minor league season in Brooklyn. All right. Let's get to some of the questions today. I know everybody is, uh, there, these questions are going to be pretty consistent because right now the, the real wonder is can the Mets stay afloat, and is there any replacements that can be an option, or is there anyone on the trade market right now? So the first one here um, is from Jack S. Let's say all injured players are back by late June. Where would the Mets need to be in the standings for you to consider it a win, considering who is on the roster right now? Jack says he's thinking they need to be within three games of first. What do you think, Joe? Um, Five six ish something like that i think they'll be able to come back from that especially with the the just the way the nl east is lined up i don't think it would be nice obviously if they were within three games or heck maybe even they're able to hold on and stay in first place but let's assume for a second that they're not i think if they're within five to six that should be that should be plenty fine to me i think if they were to go you know 10 back we'd be having a bit of a different conversation yeah, I'm with you there. A lot can change in baseball very quickly, especially with a team that should, and we've seen it already this year, it really should be able to get on hot streaks, right? I mean, they have the kind of rotation that can carry you where if you just get a little bit out of the lineup, you can go on these very, very long hot streaks. So I think that, yeah, I, I think that they don't have three games is, I would be thrilled. Let me just say that. I would be really really thrilled if they somehow hung around like that the next question is from paul and of course this is a name that you're going to hear about until something does happen here paul says what type of package do you think it would take to get chris bryant now it complicates things that the cubs are in the hunt but assuming the price is not astronomical i would have hoped he would be a deadline target anyway as a big right-handed bat in a left-handed heavy offense and he would be a perfect fit now so I know, I believe Andy Martino said that, you know, Chris Bryant's obviously not available right now. We'll see what happens with the Cubs. Obviously, there's a lot of thought there that he is not going to sign with the Cubs long term, or maybe they won't offer him long term, where no matter where the Cubs are in the standings, unless it was in first place, it does seem like he will be a trade deadline candidate. And with the way he's playing right now, he might bring back a significant piece. What do you think about this, Joe? Obviously, I think the the upfront answer is it doesn't matter the type of package. He's not available right now. Right. That's just what I was going to say. Right now, the Cubs are playing well, and it's May. Chris Bryant's not available. I mean, I'm sure if you offered them, you know, Alvarez plus, they'd probably do it now. Uh, but I don't think that's that's in the cards at all. So Bryant's probably not available now at all. But when it comes to closer to the deadline, you know, we'll see how the Cubs are if they fall back to earth and fall out of it, then obviously Bryant will be available. Otherwise, they'll hang on to Bryant, make a qualifying offer to him, and you know just get a draft pick and move forward. But if I'm the Cubs, even if I'm struggling, I would say to whoever's calling, you have to give me better than what I would get as draft capital for a qualifying mm-hmm. offer. Because I, I could just hold on to him for the rest of the year, let him play like an MVP, make a qualifying offer, let him walk, get a second round pick next year and you know just deal with it that way. I don't need to I don't need to trade him. So in order to convince me, 
I would I would have the expectation at the deadline that you have to give me at least what I would get, you know, prospect value wise from a, a draft pick that would be compensation from him signing elsewhere after I gave him a qualifying offer. That's really how I'd look at it. Which no, means it's you're, perfect. Yeah. It makes a ton of sense. Yeah. And it's a which great, means, it's a take I haven't yeah. heard yet that they might, yeah. there's a chance they don't trade him. Yeah. I mean, everyone just assumes he's a free agent after you trade him. And if they're out of it, I would wager that they do trade him. But, you know, you're looking at, I would say a JT Ginn type of prospect or a Mark Vientos, at least like those, those would be the type of guys that I think you'd have to talk at the front of a two, three prospect package and, you know, give something a little lesser. That would be my hunch. Uh, it really depends, you know, how the next, you know, month or two go, but yeah, they're, they're, you're not getting them now. That's really what it comes down to. But come deadline time, if the Cubs fall out of it, the Mets are still in it, and they want to make a run at Bryant, I would I would wager you'd have to start the package with either Vientos or somebody like JT Ginn, or at least someone in that in that caliber of prospect. Maybe they the Cubs prefer somebody else, but those are the type of guys I'd be thinking. All right, we got another one here. This is from Robert Z. And Joe, this is just a, this is a, such a Joe question, as I always love to say. Yeah. He asks, biggest surprise of the early minor league season so far? For me, I know this is going to, I wonder if this will surprise you when I hear it. I'm actually a little surprised that basically all the top prospects are raking like hell. Like they're Dude, not just. Every they're single not, guy, yeah. even before what's his, yeah. before Peter Crow Armstrong yeah. got hurt. Yeah. Yeah, everybody is raking. Alvarez is unreal. Beatty's unreal. Mauricio. Mauricio. Yeah, all of them are absolutely crushing the ball. And after the year off, I was definitely concerned as to, will it take time for these guys to adjust offensively to getting back into live game, live action every day against you know other minor league pitching? And it seems like for them, it's as if they didn't miss time. They're absolutely crushing the ball. And to me... That's that's one of the biggest surprises that we're not looking at one of the top prospects and saying, well, darn, he's not hitting like we're looking. We're like, they're hitting so good. When can we promote him to the next level? So, you know, so far, so good there. Um, of course, you have some struggles at the upper minors due to lack of depth. And, you know, the upper minors wasn't loaded with weren't loaded with prospects anyway. And those teams are struggling to win baseball games. Um Vientos is starting to turn it on a little bit for Binghamton. I know he had an aggressive uh, starting him in double A was an aggressive start. And he's mm-hmm. finally finally starting to catch up to some of the, the pitching there. Um, friend of the show, Jake Mangum, was promoted to double A Binghamton just a few days ago. So he's he's out there now and he's been hitting pretty decent ever since he came back from a hamstring injury that he you know missed a few games to, uh, to start the season. But yeah, overall. You know, my biggest takeaways are the top guys are playing like top guys, and that's that's just taking the glass half full here. Well, I have one for you that I want to ask about that has surprised me because he, he really hadn't put it together anywhere until, and it's early, but AAA this year and now two games with the Mets. How about Yenzi Diaz so far? So far, so good. I mean, I know he cleaned up his uh, delivery a bit. In, I was going to say, what do you think it yeah. is? Yeah, he cleaned up his delivery. He had a very long delivery with Toronto, which really made him struggle with control. And he shortened that up with the Mets. I don't know how much change the Mets have made or if that was something he did in the offseason that he just carried in. But so far, he's locating well. And, you know, he, he's got a nice splitter. He's got a, got a fastball up to 96, 97. I mean, all in all, the guys that they got for Steven Matz seem like, you know, They may go up and down a bit, but, you know, optionable, useful relief arms with Yenzi Diaz and Sean Reed Foley. So, yeah, have to be impressed with Diaz out the gate as, you know, he's obviously only had a couple appearances here, but he's done fine. So, you know, they're they're They definitely have some relievers. That's the one thing that they've been able to pull guys in and make the bullpen work. Now, if only they could just replicate that in the lineup. Thomas asks, why are injuries so bad this year? He says it's an, it's so annoying and hurts the overall product. I don't want to watch 4A players. And, you know, I think there's a couple things to this, right? Across the league, I and I don't I haven't looked into the research of, you know, per average year compared to this year. But just from the 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 quick look, it seems like there's more injuries than ever so far to start this year. And 
I think there's a lot of different reasons. I think that you're seeing guys that maybe are struggling with the ramp up or, you know, obviously there's been a lot of soft tissue injuries. I think injuries are up in baseball as a whole because players are throwing with such high velocity that you're seeing a lot of this side tightness or arm injuries or shoulder soreness where, I mean, the amount of torque, and I've always said this about DeGrom because he's a guy that usually has to skip a start in the beginning of each year, and you go, oh, you, we, we always panic. We're like, oh, my God, and then DeGrom's fine it, oh, for the long haul. It's just the amount of torque a lot of these guys are throwing you with. Now, what I'll say with the Mets to answer Thomas's question, and I agree, it's, it is bad for the product, the amount of injuries. And there, baseball has more weird injuries than anything, any kind of sport. Did you see uh, Plezak on the Indians had an injury from aggressively ripping off his shirt and the chair got caught on his locker? I, like these are these are the <laughs> things that yeah these are the things that happen in baseball where it's like why does this happen to baseball players like in football a guy goes across the middle and a head-to-head collision happens it's like oh there's a concussion like yeah that's the sport right hockey right. of course ton, tons of upper body injuries like that of course but baseball has is the king of like and I know they're they're professional athletes, and they are running harder than it looks on camera. But like, ran out a ground ball really hard and pulled his hamstring. And I'm not saying it like just because it happened to Conforto. I'm saying it because it happens every freaking year to every team where it's like, wait, so he had to sprint all out, and he that's why he pulled his hamstring. Like these are the things with baseball, and I know I'm just taking a, a giant crap on baseball right now, which stinks because I love the sport, I love the Mets. But it is a thing with baseball. Now, to get back to Thomas's question, the Mets have also had horrific luck injuries this year. They've had Almora and Fargus run into the wall. Now, hat tip to those guys. They play 120 miles an hour and will surrender their bodies because that's the type of center field they play. And it leads to incredible plays. But they've had two, and this is May, they've had two center fielders with incredible speed and range collide as hard into the wall as you possibly can. They've had another center fielder literally get hit in the face by a 95-mile-per-hour fastball. J.D. Davis and Pete Alonzo have both gotten hit in the hand-wrist area, which is, I mean, the Mets get hit by more pitches than anything. Obviously, the soft tissue ones, that's not something I'm going to call unlucky because I feel like every team's dealing with at least one. It's happened to Conforto and McNeil, though, two players that are supposed to be their best bats in the absolute lineup. Nimmo, who's the ultimate spark at the top of the lineup, always has the strangest injuries. Right now, he's dealing with a finger one. But really, when you look at a lot of their injuries, they're things that are bad luck and just honestly just things, unfortunately, that are out of their control, like running into the wall or getting hit by pitches. So it's bad and it stinks. That's really all I could say about it right now. Yeah, the Mets obviously had have had their share of bad luck, but across the game, like you said, I don't know the stats, but it definitely feels like more teams are really being hit by the injury bug hard to this stars. year. Star yeah, players. Star players too. So to me, I wonder if it's how did last season screw with people? I mean, you have some younger players that didn't get to play because there wasn't a minor league season and now they're playing in the big league. So they really haven't played baseball in a year. So they're struggling there. And then, you know, you had players start and stop and then play only 60 games. And then now they're trying to stretch it out over a whole season. You know, it's one of those things that we talked about, you know, in spring training, you know, on this show, we talked about how, you know, pitchers innings are gonna have to be watched. You know, injuries could potentially be up this year. I didn't know necessarily that it would be this up, uh, but obviously it's very bad. And, you know, it does stink for the game. I know I definitely feel what Thomas is saying. Uh, you don't want to watch 4A players play, but, you know, that's that's the nature of the beast. They Teams have injuries, and, you know, they're all trying to work through them. And just from a Mets perspective, having, you know, other teams in division have some injuries – is helping them kind of sneak by with the injuries that they have. So that way they're able to stay afloat, remain in first place, or at least in the hunt, hopefully for the next month. But yeah, I mean, it, it's bad for the game. I don't know what else to say. There's nothing you could do about it. You can't stop people from getting injured, especially some of the freak stuff. I mean, Pilar got hit in the face. What are you going to do? You know, the 
guy on the Braves decided to punch a wall. <laughs> the Zach police act did. I don't. I I actually hadn't read what happened to him, but his shirt got stuck on a chair or something. Like his shirt got stuck in the locker or on the chair, and he was taking it off too aggressively. Was the framing of it, and he got hurt. Well, next time I he'll mean, come unbu- on, dude. That's next- like a fifty-year-old dad thing. Yeah. Next. Yeah, it's like oh. Darn, I took off my shoes too quick. Now I got a ankle injury. So he's got to, uh, you know, next time unbutton slowly. Take your time, Zach. But yeah, it's it's definitely it's a tough thing for us to go through as fans of baseball. But, you know, there there is something to, you know, rooting for these guys that, you know, maybe didn't expect to be playing every day in major league lineups. So that's how I'm going to try to look at it. It's like, hey, root for these guys. But it's definitely tough to watch. It is. And with that, that wraps our show. I hope next week, because this is the second like show in a row of, hey, how do we how did the Mets survive all these injuries? And they then there's more the following week. I hope that we start to lean the other way after a week where we're talking about guys returning and supplementing or propelling the team rather than more guys going down and it leading to more problems for the team. And as I say that, Noah Syndergaard came out after one inning on a night he was scheduled to pitch four or five. So we'll have more there at some point. And I know we keep saying it, but Joe and I genuinely are going to get going on YouTube uh, after the holiday weekend, I think is a good time to start that. Things have been, you know, a little crazy after the NFL draft. Joe started a new show. He's a superstar on SNY right now. So I think when you're looking at it, we're definitely going to get the YouTube streams going. And quite frankly, I mean, I don't know how many people, maybe they do, want to hear about the AAA lineup scoring two runs uh, at midnight when we're going to go live. So, Joe, (laughs) closing thoughts, episode 43. Yeah, let's hope for the best for Noah Syndergaard. I was really hoping to end on a real positive note. Uh, Tim Healy just tweeted that a scout at Syndergaard's start tonight said he was 94 to 95 the first few batters, then 89 to 92 to the last couple. His slider and changeup were good early, but his slider was was bad at the end, the scout added. So hopefully there's not a setback or something wrong, but uh, Syndergaard being pulled after an inning is is not exactly uh, something, something you want to see. I mean, Zach Scott was talking the other day about, you know, mid-June, Syndergaard should be back. Hopefully we're not pushing back the the timeline there. So yeah, keep an eye on that. And certainly, you know, once we get running on YouTube, this is the kind of thing, once we get an update, you know, we'll hop right on, you know, talk about it for a few minutes, take some questions, talk to the people and really excited to get that started. And, you know, like you said, you know, keep a lookout for my SNY stuff. I have an MLB mock draft coming soon. Um, another Miners mailbag. And of course, Mets perspective every other Thursday on SNY.TV. But you can always catch me here on That So Mets podcast every Tuesday. I won't miss one of these for nothing. Positive thoughts, everybody. Positive, positive thoughts. We'll catch you next week. If you run a business, Bank of Clark County has you covered. Offering cash management services to automate and simplify your business banking, streamlined digital banking, and merchant payment processing that's a one-stop solution. Plus, Bank of Clark offers corporate credit cards that help you optimize capital, organize expenses, and enhance your business. Whether you're looking to earn points faster or lower your APR, Bank of Clark County has the card that's right for you. Member FDIC.